with failure, I just never wanted to fail. I saw failure as a an awful thing. So I ended up in a really negative pattern. So I started this being this kind of octopus that would go around like propping people up and making sure that if they fell over, you know, they either didn't realize they'd fallen over or it didn't have any negative consequences. And that built an environment at Bird and Blend where people were frightened to fail or they didn't know what failure was. Hello and welcome to How Not to Run a Business with me, your host, Jeremy Jacobs, a podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to work for themselves. Each week, I bring you real, honest, and down-to-earth conversations about success, failure, and how not to run a business, all in service of you living a life you love and achieving your version of success. Hello and welcome to episode 41 of How Not to Run a Business. It's me, your host, Jeremy Jacobs. Thank you for joining me today and I hope you're doing very well indeed. So I have a great episode for you today. This is episode 41. I sat down with Chrissy Smith from Bird and Blend. Now, if you don't know Bird and Blend, they are a tea mixologist. They're based down here on the south coast of England in Brighton in Sussex. And I met... Chrissy many years ago at the very start of my business and entrepreneurial journey and I actually met her at a business networking event she did a talk and I ran over straight after got into the queue and I went over to Chrissy and said hello good to see you again and I asked her immediately if she could come onto the podcast to talk to me because her story and her journey and her openness and her vulnerability about all the things that have gone really well in her business but also the things that haven't got gone so well. She was very open about sharing that in the talk, and I think she'd be thought she'd be a perfect guest for How Not to Run a Business. And man, was I not wrong. It's a really great conversation. We had a good laugh, but we also talked a lot about her journey of starting her business. The business now has 14 stores in the UK, has a really successful international e-commerce website, and... What I loved about this conversation is we talked about failure, we talked about burnout, we talked about the need not to celebrate stress and high tolerance of stress in entrepreneurs. We talked about everything. Well, maybe not everything, but you know what I mean. Uh, And it was just such a great conversation. So I'm going to leave it there. I invite you to listen to the whole entire episode in its entirety. It's about 55 minutes long. It's a great episode. I learned a lot. There was a lot of relatedness. There's a lot of really great tips and strategies that Chrissy uses in dealing with burnout and stress and all of the challenges that come with running a successful business. So for now, it's time to sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome, Chrissy from Bird and Blend. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad the sun's shining. Makes me feel a bit happier. Uh, it's not in Leeds. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm coming home today. Um, for, for context, I'm in Leeds at the moment. And uh, yeah, it's a bit cloudy this morning, but I'm sure it'll brighten up but I'm coming back down south later. So thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to have this conversation with you. We have, we've met before, but it was a very long time ago and uh, when I was running my previous business, but we, uh, I came to a breakfast networking meeting where you did a talk about your journey and your story and I was eager to run over and say, mm-hmm. would you please come and talk on my podcast because your story is so inspiring um as as a fellow uh founder and entrepreneur myself your story is just amazing so we're going to get into that but I'd love for you to just give us an intro into your business and who you are and then we'll have a look at your story and where you've got to how you've got to where you are today yeah that sounds great I mean and also I'll say that back you know when you told me about the, the the theme of the podcast I just thought this is great because not enough you don't hear enough about failure and sort of the authenticity around being a business owner or, or trying to build a business. So yeah, I'm really pleased to be here. So thanks for having me. Um, so my name is Chrissy Smith. I am co-founder of Bird and Blend Tea Company. Um, we started 10 years ago um, from my mom's back bedroom and um, we basically are expert tea mixologists. So that means that we blend fantastic flavors of tea. We've got over a hundred teas on our tea wall. Um, And we sell our teas via 14 of our own physical retail stores where you can go in and get demos and tastings with our tea experts. 
and we also sell online all over the world. Uh, we're based down in Brighton. We do all of our own manufacturing and fulfillment and, and tea blending down in Brighton, which is now my home. But you can tell from my accent that <laughs> I'm not originally from the South. Um, and I, over the years, I, you know, I started as a co-founder. I've, I've held various jobs in the business. I'm currently acting as interim MD, which has been a great experience. But I'm also an author and a public speaker and, and very passionate about supporting people in business, really, whether that's yeah. entrepreneurship, women in business, getting young people into different careers or sustainability in business as well. So I'm really excited to, to tell you a bit about my story today. Oh, brilliant. So um, I've been tasting your teas. I'm sat here at the moment with a peach and blueberry and I've had mm -hmm. um, I brought them up with me and I had a Bell's breakfast this morning as well, Nice, which was so delicious and so fragrant. And um, I also was just saying before we hit record that I had a tea tasting at my parents the other day because uh, you very kindly sent me a lovely selection. We laid them all out. We put them all tea bags in and then we tasted them all. And the thing which I always find, because I'm a big tea drinker, I love a cup of tea, um, a classic, you know, builders, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, builders tea, or you've got one called builders tea, haven't you? We do, right? yeah, we yes. do, yes. And um, and I also like a fruit tea. I really love the, oh, it's like a, it's for me, it's a real um, moment of self care because I yeah. just love a nice cup of tea. And the thing I love about your teas is they taste like what they say, because there's so many teas out there that are, um, you know, they'll say they're this particular flavor and you put the bag in and you leave it and you taste it. And you think, mm, OK, it tastes all right. But yours are so beautiful and you can see the quality of the ingredients and how they're put together. And um, our favorites was you've got a chocolate digestive. We do. Which, oh, my word. Like, I was <laughs> like, this tastes like chocolate digestive. I was so honestly surprised and uh, another fa favorite us was the um uh rhubarb and custard as well nice. which was yeah so really enjoyed them so would you just tell us a little bit about the you know the importance of the quality of your product and how you know what 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 the kind of vision for making these teas is really and how you put them together yeah, um, well, I'm so glad that that's coming across because our, our big thing is that we're blend specialists. So it was from the very beginning, it was always about creating blends that looked great, tasted great and smelt great. They had to give you a whole experience. And I was the same as you. I, I Back in the day, I just hated the fact that you could to get a flavoured tea, you had to go to, you know, Holland Barrett maybe. And it was very much in the health sector. They were all watery and weak and and, and people didn't realize, I think, 10 years ago, but, but tea is so versatile. We've had this big coffee moment, but actually tea is such a versatile um, thing to play with. And I'm really creative. And I thought, do you know what? I don't know why no, there isn't anyone in the UK doing these really flavor first teas. Um, so our, our kind of my approach is that we've got 100 on the tea wall. And that's because, like you said everyone has a different moment a different flavor a different need and so all of them have got fun names and colorful labels and big chunks of raspberry in them or whatever so and that approach has been in in the early days you know i i had i didn't know anything about tea i was not i don't have any qualifications in tea or, or business um, <laughs> but, no um, one does really yeah, when they no, start do no. they um and i i remember the first I made 20 blends to start with to try and like get 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 it off the ground and I didn't know what I was doing and, and I can remember speaking to people in the industry uh, experts who were saying you know you can't you can't do tea like this tea is supposed to be like uh, origin estate with first flush Darjeeling and you know every cup's got to taste exactly the same and they've got to look very you know the leaves and and I was thinking well no I want to I want to create a tea that's called mojiti that tastes like a mojito that's got big chunks of lime in it and they were like no that's not how it's done and I think I think I thought to myself well there might be a reason why this hasn't been done yet and I might be completely barking up the wrong tree here but let's give it a go because I think that this creative way of approaching and the, and the fun and the accessible way of approaching tea might be you know might be a good business opportunity and with our stores, they're fun spaces. And, and, and our ethos is that, you know, anyone should be able to walk over the threshold and say, I don't know what I'm doing. What is this? Um, it looks fun, but, you know, and, and they get taught about the tea and, and they can dip in or out. I, I just didn't want to create a business in any way that was trying to be, 
like elitist or you know oh if you don't if you're not in the tea connoisseurs club you can't come in you know that I think it's the vibe of it had to be fun it had to be a, a, approachable um because that's that's the type of business I wanted to run yeah um so yeah. that's kind of what we've done I've got across yeah. everything yeah amazing because it is you want that whole experience from from first engaging with your brand all the way through um I always think of you know like Apple's Apple store whether or not you're an Apple fan you know the way that they do that the whole experience it's 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 um it's so important to the customer so I've got a couple of questions for you um, which are quite practical ones because my brain was whirring as you were talking. So you've now got 100 teas. Did you start yes. off, when you first started, like, did you have, like, a big range or did you start quite small? Like, how many did you have? Yeah, we started with 20 originally. And, um, and again, I, I just... I just googled to try and find out about blending tea and, and I managed to speak to a couple of people that were experts and actually one of those people still one of our you know huge suppliers actually we've got a great relationship with with them now but um and I thought I'll start with 20 and I'll give this a go and I just came at it from ideas of flavors so rhubarb and custard actually was one of the originals so I thought that's a great flavor let's see if we can turn it into a tea and um, it didn't really matter to me what the ingredients were, as long as the ingredients were ethically sourced and, you know, not harmful to your body. And um, that was all that mattered. And I think because I approached it from a let's let's get the fun flavor first um, and, and almost my naivety of not knowing anything about the industry helped me. So we had 20 to start with and we started going around markets. So we did all the different markets from like um, we did Bakewell town hall wi uh, all the way up to glastonbury festival so every kind of size and shape anywhere that would have us with a table we would we would sample these 20 teas and then we noticed that um people really loved the flavor element and they wanted they just kept telling us all these other ideas for flavors that they wanted and i started exploring the different types of tea um and we started building up this idea that are the colors of the tea wall so there's the black for the black tea green for green and then there's pink for herbal so we've got eight colors um and i had this vision of having 20 teas of each color because i thought you know if you're if you're a caffeine free drinker then you should have as much to choose from and as much flavor as someone that drinks black teas and caffeine teas so i started adding flavors and we started doing it seasonally so i we got around to Easter and I was like, right, let's do some limited edition flavors. So I, I brought out um, hot cross bun and carrot cake for Easter that year and um, started to notice that our small, loyal fan base were really liking the fact that new things were being released and then they were going and they were seasonal. Um, and then as a way to engage more with the community, we did we started doing vote back. So you could vote a tea that had come over Easter onto the tea wall. So over the years, it's grown from 20 up to 100, and they're permanent now on the tea wall. Um, but over the years, I've made, I think there's 400 in the back catalog of teas, wow. 400 teas we've had Wowzers. over the years. Yeah. That's a lot. It is um, a lot. <laughs> so how, does it present problems? Because I, you know, from my business, when I started the bakery, and we did start releasing retail products, um, we we started off with a very small selection and often people give advice to business owners thinking about creating a product not to go, go have a range that's too large because you want to make sure that you know focus your energy so i get tea probably you know it's got a relatively long shelf life and you can keep it stored but do you, is there any kind of issues or challenges that you you face because a hundred a product range of 100 is is a lot I and mean, obviously you're a very established business but on that journey has there been any problems and things that you would think I would do that differently next time yeah um, and then we had the same we had some ad uh, advice in the early days around don't have this many SKUs it's going to make it really difficult to de-risk your supply chain it's going to make it really difficult for cash flow you know um it's easier to just pick your your top set test and then find your top sellers and then just double down on those um we thought really hard about that um but because to us that one of the core ethoses of of the business we wanted to try and build was about this exploration the experience the finding something perfect for you it suited our 
overall kind of brand proposition to have that many SKUs. Now, you're right, in businesses where if that isn't, imp- that's quite unique to our business. If it, if it wasn't like that, if that, if your business wasn't like that, then yes, the, 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 the sensible advice of keeping your SKUs down to a, a minimum is great advice because yes, we, we have all sorts of issues from, well, not issues, but challenges. So, you know, the stock holding in our warehouse facility, you know, and we do all our warehousing in-house, um, which again is a choice because we wanted to have a business that employed people. Um, but if we didn't, then outsourcing your warehousing is probably also a smart idea because that has its challenges. But, you know, the stock holding to keep all of the, the entire selection in stock across 14 stores and the website all the time means that there's hundreds of thousands of pounds locked up in stock at all times. Um, it means that when we open a new store, we have to have copious amounts of stock just to open the store, which is, is which sinks your cash. Um, and it also has challenges around um, like packaging as well, because we're, we're, we've got really strong eco credentials and we want to have as little waste as possible. But again, holding the packaging for that amount of SKUs is, you know, it, and like you said, if things go out of date, you, you've got to really manage your wastage properly. And so we didn't we didn't choose the easiest route there. And I think I think the other one as well is with um, as you grow, you get quantities of scale. So you, you're often able to you have to you have to kind of accept that at the start you're going to perhaps your margins aren't going to be as best as they could be. But over time, you can get better margins by you know, as you get bigger, renegotiating better deals for, for, for larger quantities. And obviously that's really over four SKUs, you get you get to do that a lot sooner than if you do over a hundred teas. And of the hundred teas, we use thousands of ingredients from all over the world. So the the advantage of um of scale is, is not as strong in, in our business. Um but I think we just passionately believe that to drop it down to just 10 teas, for example, which to give you context, 85% of our revenue comes from those top 10 teas. So, right. you know, wow. it, there's no, exactly. Yeah. But we, wow. so commercially, you think, you know, a, 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 anyone like consulting or commercially would say, drop your long tail, focus on your top 10. But we believe that that, although it's only 15% of revenue, we believe that the, the idea of having this big selection and it, it positioning us as the magical tea wall of tea is what makes people come to us in the first place. Yeah, no, I, I completely make sense. And I think maybe there's a bit of the fact that like, like me, when, when I started, you, you don't really understand, you know, you don't know business because you've not been running a business. Yeah. And that actually is an advantage because the consultants and the accountants will come along and just look at the numbers and say, well, yeah. drop it. But for you as the brand owner, you're like, well, no, this is part of what the experience is all about. So it's important and there's a cost to it. But as you say, if you change that model, then you're, you, you, you know, you may not be successful. You might lose customers off the back of that. Yeah. So, the, so I'd love to go back and talk about the start of your journey because you said, you didn't know a thing about tea and you didn't know a <laughs> thing about business and you started a tea business. And now mm-hmm. 10 years on, you're doing amazingly well. You've got great success and you are seen as an authority on tea. You've written a book called mm-hmm. The World Atlas of Tea. And um, you've got some other exciting things we'll talk about later. Um, and that's such an inspiring thing. Like, I mean, I same for me when I started the bakery I didn't have a clue about making cakes and then we grew a manufacturing business and people were like oh did you train I was like nope not at all <laughs> so <laughs> and so it's there's a lot of relatedness there and it's such it's just a, such an awe-inspiring story to see where you've taken it so tell us a little bit about because you've got a really fun story about how you started the business and I'd love to hear about your thinking about starting this business because I know if I remember correctly you, you knew you wanted to start a business, but you weren't quite sure what. And you were living in Canada or staying in Canada at the yeah. time. So, yeah, tell us tell us how you got started and how you got yeah. to go. <clears throat> Okay, so, we, um, so I met my business partner, Mike, at uni. Um, and I think in my late teenage years and early 20s, throughout all of this time, I was just trying to figure out who I was in, in an environment where I didn't feel like I fitted the norm. And I was 
constantly being told, you know, if you just settle down a bit and choose what you wanted to do, you'd, you'd be great, you'd succeed. And it was this language around, you could be great, you could succeed, you, you're smart if you did this, if you, and it, it felt to me like people were saying, if you change who you are and kind of dim your light a bit, you could go on to have success and happiness. And I thought, that doesn't really fit with me. So I, I tried, I, you know, I worked really hard. I did loads of jobs, um, mostly entry-level jobs, but I, I did all, I had experience across all sorts of industries, learned lots of life skills. And, um, but, and I did go to uni. I traveled the world for a year. I went to uni and I was, I was just trying, trying to figure out what, what was out there in the world and how I could fit in. I studied politics and philosophy at uni because I was trying to figure out, you know, how the world worked and what, where I could be best placed to have impact in the world and and everything I came across just didn't seem to fit so after uni Mike and I decided to move out to Canada um for a year um to ski and we became uh, ski instructors and skied out there and lived in a tiny town called Fernie which was brilliant um and I think just trying to still figure out what we wanted to do and I'd kind of come to the conclusion that I wanted to start my own business and I tried a few things a uh, very light touch because I'd, I'd it had dawned on me that the frustrations that I had from working for other people and the times where it hadn't worked out you know I'd been fired a few times it, it seemed to me because these places didn't foster an, a, an environment of of empowerment for the for the team and 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 asking the questions about why we're doing things and, and thinking about their impact on the world and on the people and I thought, I think I can build a business in a different way that does make profit. I did want to be a business owner. I didn't want to go into the charity sector. So I thought, I'm, I, I believe that business can make a positive impact on the world. It does need to make profit to do that. But I believe that there are two other pretty major ingredients to that, which are the, the impact we can have on the outside world, whether that's society or environmental or, you know, those things, but or influence and also the impact that a business, the potential impact a business has to, on its team, because provide we spend half our life in work and in providing a good space for people to thrive. I just thought this could make meaningful change. So we um, we were in Canada and I was I was looking out for a couple of business ideas and and I ended up getting a summer job at a tea company. Um, because I ran out of money again, <laughs> and um, and I thought, you know what, it was North, it was North America, so it was very, it was iced tea and flavored tea, and I'd never really come across that before. And I thought, you know what, this is an idea. It's creative enough for me. It's friendly. It's personable. It's retail based. It could be retail based. Um, so I researched the market a little bit, and by research the market, I mean I just googled it. I didn't <laughs> do anything other yeah. than that, and thought. Yeah, and, and Mike and I went to, we, we started writing a business plan. And again, just Googled how to write a business plan, started sketching that out in the evenings. And then about two weeks in, we went to the pub and we'd read the book or watched the YouTube maybe about, uh, is, it, is it Simon Sinek's um, book, Why, Golden Circle? Yeah. And I thought, this is fascinating. So we literally drew on on a piece of paper in the pub, like the circles and were like, okay, we've got the what, the what is tea, um, but what? But what's the why? Why do we want to start a business? And what is it that we want this business to do? And we we jotted down some things, and we ended up with a sentence, which is our still our mission statement today, um, which was to prove that you could build a successful business that bases its decisions on people and planet as well as profits. And what I didn't know 10 years ago is that's basically the tagline for B Corp, um, which we've just gone through. And, and, and as I've started learning a lot more about the sustainability sector, it, that is it, it's that triple bottom line. But I didn't know that uh, at the time. I just felt like that was the right way of building a business up. And <clears throat> the prove bit was the important thing for me. So that was my why. I wanted to prove to the world that all those people that had said you have to do it this traditional way I wanted to prove that that I could build something in the way that I felt at my core was right um so so then I convinced Mike to move back from Canada and we went and, and started the business and you know on on a, a little bit of savings and and um 
you know, sleeping in the back of a van, going to festivals and moved in with my mum for six months rent free. And then she said, oh, you've got to get a proper job after this. And so we scrabbled a lot, packing tea in our bedroom, you know, in the early days. It looks glamorous now, but it wasn't. We, we had very humble beginnings for at least three years. And I would say the first seven years, and we're only 10 years in, I didn't have a life. It, it, I lived, slept and breathed bird and blend. So that there has been a lot of sacrifice and a lot of hardship to some extent along the way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's I think that's true for any business owner that has worked very hard to build something. As you say, you know, you look at the statistics and they say, you know, this percentage and there's always, always slightly different, but you know, it's those first few years are very critical and you've got to be prepared if you really want to grow something to be all in. I mean, you know, I talk and, you know, you said yourself um, about focusing on the team and the people and obviously there's the sustainability and making a positive impact. But at the end of the day, you've got to put all your energy into growing that business at the start and it does become your life, doesn't it? And you kind of become intertwined. Do you still feel like you are burden blend or have you managed to extract yourself from the business? Because that's a common thing I know for myself where you become the business and have you did you have that experience where you felt like the business is you and you're the you're the business if that makes sense yeah I mean all the way up until probably last year in every sense of the word in 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 the way that I was involved in everything I knew everybody by name I was the person that you know everything was in my head to people wanting to hear me to speaking about my founder journey when they find that even more inspiring than the actual product to you know the the success that that I've had as a founder in the various roles throughout the business and and recruiting people in to do that less successful not because they lack the skills but because having the face of the brand there is is has a lot of kudos to the to the way it's taken over my life to feeling like it's a baby you know and um that we're, we're looking after it's my child and so in every sense of the word yes one and the same and that that's been really great because the business wouldn't be as special or as magical if it and authentic if it hadn't have built like that but over the last year it's been really challenging for me as a founder because I have slowly come to the conclusion that I cannot be one and the same in this business as it gets bigger and bigger and I need to really think about how to inject the purpose and the mission and everything into people across the business and, and almost hand hand that over to people to be the custodian of, of the vision. And that's been really difficult, um, not because I don't want to let go or trust other people. It's because as a founder, like the spirit and the passion is what gets me up every day. So the idea of wanting this business that I love so much to be able to continue to grow and reach more people is is great but but realizing that to do so I need to let it go to some extent is it is a bit heartbreaking it, it kind of leaves you without it leaves me with a reassessing what my my purpose is and that's been a really challenging journey for me as well as having to learn to put myself first because if you've given everything to the business, which I have to make it succeed, and so many people love it, customers, team members, you know, and they're on that journey with you and they're, 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 you've, you've given everything to get it there. The thought of saying, actually, no, I want to, even simple things, I want to finish at five o'clock, I want to be able to go on holiday and I need to be paid enough to pay my rent. You know, we're talking simple, simple wants. It feels like you're being selfish like the business should come first, but you, I've slowly learned like you have to do that because otherwise you just lose yourself um, and your own happiness. And that's, that's not good for anybody. No, no, absolutely. And I talk a lot about being anti hustle culture. Um, you know, I don't, I, this isn't about not working hard and not putting everything in, but this putting your business before everything in life. And I get sometimes that does have to happen in short term, you know, sprints, sometimes you have to be all in and put everything first, of course. 
but that consistent doing it all the time and it sounds to me like you've you know you're you're on that journey of taking a step back do you think you would have so let's talk about failure because we we we've you know that's what the podcast is is aimed at and what we talk about so I'd love to understand looking back at your journey do you think that you could have could you do it differently would you have done it differently would you have maybe put yourself first more in the past or do you think that's critical to the success of your business I'm gonna say that cliche thing of like to be perfectly honest I wouldn't do it differently because every time we've been through something like either me or the business that was a failure I have it has shaped either me or the business in a better way for the future I I honestly I know everybody says this but I honestly think if we hadn't have had the bumps that I that we've had we would not be here today and so although at the time those bumps feel horrendous getting through there is something about getting through um you know a challenging situation or a failure and and when you learn the lessons from it you 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 because you can't see them coming sometimes you can't know everything you can't predict everything that's going to happen and and I think if you come across a challenge or a failure what it does is it makes you step back and go oh gosh and then you learn the skills and then you make sure it never happens again so it actually you learn by doing and you make your business stronger because of it you know we had cash flow problem once a big one in 2016 which was three years in and we had maybe 30 employees and and we had we couldn't make payroll and that happened then in 2016 and it's never happened again now if we'd never had that experience and we got to this year 10 years in we're a stable business you know, in theory, nothing could take us down now, you know, touch wood. Um, but all the banks have started, the world's gone bonkers and all the banks have started pulling their lending, right? So if if we were finding out now what it meant to not be able to make payroll, that's 170 people and a significant amount of money. So it, that is something that could sink a business. So the fact we went through it in the early days and learned from it and put the you know, everything in place to make sure it didn't happen again. It's really actually served as well. And people that fail a lot get to learn and hone their skills way more than people that just sail through out of either luck or, you know. The only thing I would say is that when it comes to personal failure or personal challenges, so I'm going to count like burnout, for example. I know that's not a failure, but when we're talking about really thinking about ourselves more and looking after ourselves, um that's not something I believe should be you know you should push yourself to to burn out and you'll learn a lesson I mean I did that twice um I've been you know I've been in that space twice over 10 years and that it did force me to make massive changes so in a way it was helpful because it literally forced me but I think as founders one of the things or business owners you don't I don't think business owners or founders or entrepreneurs, they have a very high stress tolerance, probably, and that's celebrated in them. And I actually think that's really unhealthy. I have a really high tolerance for stress and people go, oh my gosh, it's amazing what you can deal with. It's amazing. Oh my gosh, how are you doing all of this? And it's actually a really damaging approach because you shouldn't be celebrating that level of 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 impact negative impact on yourself and again we can be quite isolated because our friends and family maybe don't know what it's like uh, or they don't know what to do or say and within our businesses we don't have proper peers to look out for us so often the, the single the founders or the, the the people that are running the business you know they don't have anyone saying to the, saying to them wait a minute you need to stop Um, whereas if it was one of my team members you know I would be duty of care I'd be saying wait a minute this is too stressful you're you're more important let's let's rework some stuff you know your health is the most important thing but as a founder you don't have that that check unless you've got a partner maybe that that really does but it's really hard for your partners as well because they're like well I don't want to meddle yeah you seem fine (laughs) yeah Um, yeah Yeah. it's a really it's a real challenge isn't it for people in our lives as you rightly say, because they don't get it, they don't understand, 
and they'd not expected to to where do you draw that source from now and you know or have you found a way to do that if 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 there's someone listening who's in that position and i by the way i absolutely that's going to be a soundbite when you said that we shouldn't be celebrating those those traits in own founders and entrepreneurs are stressed absolutely it's beautiful because it's exactly what i've been talking a lot about recently um but where do you draw that how do you find that support or how have you found that support for someone that may be in that position and is feeling so isolated and alone what would you say to them there's two things that I've done that, and again, I've only really done it over the last couple of years. So it took me a long time. But the, the first thing is I, I became a lot more choosy about the people that I had in my life outside of work. So I really invested in the people that did get it um, or got it more. And whether that was friends or I also started attending, I, I, I worked really hard to try and find, I went through loads, but I found a, a female founders group um, of like-minded women and I would meet them every month because they did understand and they would say things like you know I I hear you don't you think you don't have time to go to the doctors but I'm giving you permission to do that so like hearing someone else say to you you need to do this has really helped um, so spending not more time with loads of people because I've only got, you know, I've got only got a set amount of time. I'm running a business, but being more selective about the people that don't just say, oh, yeah, but you're amazing. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's not what I needed. Um, and the other thing that I did, which was a huge step forward for me, was because I cling on to this identity so much, and maybe many of us do, of being this trailblazer, independent woman. I'm going to, you know, do all these cool things and everyone's in awe. I... I took a really hard look as to where, where that was coming from. And I, and I tried tentatively to start telling some people, so people within the business, my leadership team, and a couple of my friends, I started saying to them, I'm actually really struggling today. I'm just giving you a heads up. I'm, 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 I'm overloaded. I'm really, really struggling. And just the sharing of that, and showing vulnerability and, you know, made me feel like it was, you know, a worry that was shared. And with my, f- a couple of my very close friends, I said, you know, I need, I need you to look out for me in the times where I'm not looking out for myself. And, you know, when things start affecting your health as well with, you know, you know, I've been through periods of, you know, severe anxiety and, um, you know, how heart palpitations, not sleeping. And, and you know, and I, I had to verbally, I said that to one of my closest friends. I said, I just want to make it clear to you when I say I'm on, I'm on the limit of stress here, this is actually what I mean. I'm not just saying I'm a bit stressed with my workload, like it's physically affecting my health. And when I shared those those things, they, my friends were like, oh, excuse me. Um, when I shared those things with them and kind of painted more of a picture, they were able to support me more, I guess, not take it more seriously, because it's not like people don't want to support you because they do. But yeah, so I guess being a bit being vulnerable and being very clear um, and letting go of the just letting go of always needing to show up and pretend you're this yeah. person, I think. Yeah. Would be my tip. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I completely agree. You're not we're not robots. We have feelings. And I get that pressure as as the as the um, the face of and the head of uh, a successful business. And you're promoting all of this well-being and health. And then you're not practicing it. Same for me as well. I used to say to my team, if I come into the room and I'm like stressing about money or why things aren't getting done quick enough, I'm in survival scarcity mode and I'm stressed and I need you to just stop me and go it's all okay and that what you shared about having an an open and honest dialogue with your team and with the people in your life is incredibly courageous because vulnerability for a lot of people particularly in my view for founders is really challenging and it's not about being this fire hose of vulnerability and just sharing everything it's about selective but also communicate like what you've demonstrated really nicely is how you've very clearly communicated with people what it is that's actually going on and how it's impacting you and one thing which I always say 
I don't know if you do this, is say to my friends and family, be really clear about what it is you're expecting from them. Like, do you want me just to listen or do you want me to help? Mm-hmm. And I'll say yes. that with some friends. I'll phone them up and I'll go, I just need to vent. I'm going to swear yeah. a lot for the next five minutes and I'm done. <laughs> you don't need to say anything. I don't want your advice. That's a really other unsolicited advice mm. is, is such a pain in the bum sometimes, but you yeah. get people want to help. Um, so thank you for sharing that because that is really, really valuable to hear that from someone like yourself. So I'm aware of I time. Think oh, go I ahead, just, please. I, I yeah, would go. just absolutely back that up, what you just said, because right. like telling people what, what they need, what you need from them or what they can do, because sometimes they don't know and they don't want to mm. ask. But I, I completely agree with what you said. Of I just want, I don't need anything, or I just want to talk, or can you just listen, or yeah, can I just run something through with you and like give me your opinion? Yeah, you know, I agree. I think I think that's fantastic advice. Yeah, great, thank you. Um, so I, I'm aware of time because we've got a hard stop, but I would love to talk a bit more about failure. So what is your what is your relationship with success and failure and i'll put a little side question in there which you can answer a bit after you've answered that first one which is has that changed over the years like from when you started to where you are now yeah i think i mean i've been massively driven by success um and by success for me it wasn't about money um which it can be and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that i think different people have different definitions of what success is I didn't start a business to become a millionaire um if I had I wouldn't have done it this way (laughs) (laughs) to be honest um but I wanted to be successful I wanted to be successful in my original mission and what has been challenging over the last couple of years is that I think we I have been successful in that mission I have proven that you can build a business and it be successfully running and supporting loads of people's lives um, in a better way. Like I've I've proven that. Um, so it's been difficult for me over the last year or so to figure out what what my new purpose is. So my relationship with success is 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 still to be defined at the moment. And then with failure, I just never wanted to fail. I saw failure as a an awful thing you know I always wanted both for myself and for others so I ended up in a really negative pattern of I'm going to need to be the first person to say what needs to happen I need to get it right every time I need to make sure there's so many checks and balances in place that nobody fails because I don't want to deal with anyone failing I, I want everyone to succeed in this so I started this being this kind of octopus that would go around like propping people up and making sure that if they fell over, you know, they either didn't realize they'd fallen over or it didn't have any negative consequences. And that built an environment at Bird and Blend where people were frightened to fail or that didn't know, or they didn't know what failure was. And I did that from, from good intentions. And my intention was for everyone to be happy and fulfilled in their work. But actually it ended up creating a, a world where the things that I've said about things I've learned from failure, it was missing from their career, from their life, from their world of work. And what happened ultimately is when obviously something's going to go wrong, when it happened, it was such an anomaly, it was terrifying for everybody involved. And so we've been trying to foster more of a culture internally um, with the teams on it's okay to make a mistake, it's okay to fail, and actually it's how you deal with that that's important. Um, but it's not an easy thing to do. Um, we, we've only really started on it in the last year or so. Um, and it's been easier as we've brought in experience, more experience from, from elsewhere where people have worked in other businesses where they, they, they fail and then other people get to see them fail and see that the world doesn't end and it's fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, and the biggest failures, I guess the biggest, the ones that I log as the most you know, the ones that keep me up at night and stress me out or anything to do with people. Like if I feel like I've failed at something with a with an individual, whether it's a team member or a customer, or we've let a customer down, that sort of thing really, really gets to me. Um, way more than maybe bigger failures that are, say, more impactful commercially. If it's got a person attached to it and I've impacted them negatively, um, unintentionally, but yeah, it does happen. I hate failing in that way. I, I, it keeps me up. 
Yeah, I hate yeah. it. I can imagine because it's the exact opposite of your purpose, really, isn't it? That you want to, you know, mm-hmm. what you want to do with people. And as you, as you say, like, that's a really interesting perspective. I've never heard anyone say that. And it's got me thinking about, you know, if, if your business fails or something you're working on fails commercially, it's numbers, it's a process, it's not, it, there's no emotion attached to it. But I can understand how for someone like yourself, where the purpose, what your purpose of your business is about, that is going to hit a lot harder. Have you, have you managed to find any ways to be able to deal with that? Or is that just going to be part of who you are, do you think? I think I have found ways to, you know, every time you go through something, you get, you build a slightly thicker skin. Um, And the, the things that have helped, and I don't want to lose it completely because that, that empathy and that, you know, that, beating myself up is actually what makes me a good you know people person in the first place so I don't want to lose that completely but the thing that's helped me the most is being super kind trying to just remind myself change my viewpoint and my perspective of being kinder to myself like I am going to make mistakes it's okay you know that is fine that's helped the other one was not waiting so heavily what I think my impact is on someone because I don't actually know that and I'm building it up in my head what I think is they're feeling or whatever and I don't actually know that that's what they're feeling and people have a very different perspective to me so maybe it's nowhere near as bad as I, I think it is maybe it's more about me um so just to remind myself that you know it's all about perspective and there's no point you know worrying about something that isn't fact fact you don't know the facts um, and the other thing that was really helped is I did some uh, emotional intelligence coaching. I received some emotional intelligence um, coast coaching, which was fascinating. Um, and it taught me that I am very empathetic, um, but it's about and self-aware and it, but it's about balance. So it wasn't about scoring. And again, this is my like competitiveness. Like I was like, oh my God, I scored really high on empathy. Oh my God, I'm brilliant. (laughs) And she had to say to me like, actually, that's not a great, that's not a good thing because what you want is balance. And if you're Mm. scoring high on empathy, that means that you're coming into every scenario loaded with emotions and feeling and worry and and whatever. And and actually what you need to do is, is be aware that you over- over index for that so next time you go into a meeting you need to dial that down be more assertive say exactly what you need from the other person and then just rely on the fact that if you ever need your empathy it's always there in buckets so if somebody doesn't respond well or they're upset or something happens you can just you can naturally dig into your empathy at that point so and it was really funny because um she said so i think you should you know, try and change your style as a leader because what people are looking for is clarity on what you need from them. Yeah. And um, and I said to okay, right, I'm gonna okay, I'm gonna try and practice changing this style. And then I said, um, do you think I should explain to everybody in advance why I'm doing that and and like give them some time to think about it and like in case they're upset about it? And she was like, oh my god, Chrissy, this is <laughs> she was like no you don't you don't need to tell everybody that they might be upset because you're changing your leadership style <laughs> love it oh hilarious. So, yeah wow. but it was really really insightful and really useful to learn about yeah. myself um, yeah yeah Amazing. highly recommend something like that yeah fantastic well <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Well, Chrissy, I'm just aware of the time. So we've got to wrap it up now. Um, so you can get off uh, uh, for 10. Um, so first of all, I mean, this conversation has flown by. I've got so many more questions. And I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Um, your vulnerability, your honesty, your openness about your journey, about your relationship with failure, your, you know, and yourself. It's just going to inspire people because there's a lot of what I talk about when I'm coaching my clients and talking on you know the world on this podcast and um it's so refreshing to hear that from someone so and I know you're a very busy woman and I really appreciate your time um and thank you for joining me but I'd love to you're up to some stuff I'm not sure if you can talk about it all right now but first of all let's tell people and we'll put um links to all of um what we're talking about on on the website so people can go through to uh go and buy some tea i mean it's amazing yeah so absolutely go so where can we find you 
share any social links, anything you want to talk about so people can get connected? Yeah, so you can find, you can get Burn and Blend online, burnandblendtea.com. And in the stores, we've got 14 stores, so there's a store finder on there. So you can, there might be one in your local city. So yeah. really encourage people to go and try some teas. And then you can find me on LinkedIn, Chrissy Smith, um, which is K-R-I-S-I, um, on Instagram, Chris, Chrissy Smith Team Exologist. And I have a website too, if you want to book me for anything, uh, chrissysmith.com. And um, you can also grab my book there. But Amazing. yeah, the exciting thing is that I am going to be on an Amazon new Amazon Prime show called Ready Set Startup, which should be out any day now. Um, I'm on episode four. I'm a judge. It's a bit like Amazing. The Apprentice crossed with Dragon's Den. Um, and we set the contestants a task to do a launch party for Bird and Blend products. So Bird and Blend's in the, sh- in the show. I'm in the show as a judge. Ooh. Had to eliminate someone. There was a lot oh, of drama. Um, that must have been yeah, challenging. Anyone, it, was, it was really cool, first step into TV. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed it. But yeah, if anyone wants to, to watch and tune in, it's on Amazon Prime. Fabulous. And I'll make sure I will get all those links in. I've been on the receiving end of a TV judge. I was on Cupcake Wars. Yeah, in, in, wow. in LA, in America in 2012. And I was stood on the other wow. side. And I thought I was going to be fine. But I tell you what, my heart on the first round, because it was the I did my promise to myself, I didn't want to get eliminated from the first round. That's all I cared yeah. about. And yeah. they were, they did that thing where they're like, it might be you or it might be you. And I thought I'd done really well. And they said, like, it's basically you or the other team, one of these other teams. And my, I, I'm not joking. I literally feel my heart in my chest pounding. I oh, got through. I got through to the final. Oh, thank so, God. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was like, what's the end to the story? <laughs> no, I made it. And it floats around. That episode's still around on Food Network somewhere. I get random messages from people like in Australia and stuff from friends saying, oh, you're on my TV. So, <laughs> I actually saw a screenshot of it yesterday. And then my, um, it's on my presentation for my client. And uh, he went, God, you look so young. And I was like, oh, my God, yeah, I've realized that. <laughs> anyway, so um listen thank you so much again chrissy i've thoroughly enjoyed you um your, this this conversation and it's been amazing and um Me yeah too. go and buy tea everyone it's awesome <laughs> thanks thank you Tony. thank you so much for listening in today i hope you've enjoyed this conversation this has been how not to run a business with your host me jeremy jacobs If you like this conversation and you want to hear more, then make sure you follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And whilst you're there, if you want to leave me a review, I would really appreciate it. If you'd like to connect with me online, you can do so on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And my profile name is Jeremy Jacobs UK. Or you can check out my website, which is jeremyjacobs.co.uk. So once again, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, Keep on trying, keep on failing, keep on succeeding.